What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> All right, let's get the podcast started. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I'm loving this fog in the morning. It means fall's here. It's coming along. And today's guest, John Brunges. Good to see you guys this morning. <laughs> now, John, I've got three notes here. When I think of John Brunges, I think of three things, right? Migratory bird program coordinator, right? Correct. That is your title here at the Department of Fish and Wildlife. That is correct. I think of whitewater. Kayaking. Well, no, I'm not a kayaker, but I'm a rafter, I guess. I see your, you know, you got the rig. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times on top of your truck out there, the, the frame for your raft, and you're out there hitting the whitewater. And then the third thing I think of is wildlife photography. And we use your photos probably in the oh, yeah. print. And all the on the calendar and the magazine. Uh, they of company press releases and columns I've written. I love it. It just doesn't seem to be as much time for it these days as there used to be. But uh, I, whenever I can, I try to get out and shoot some pictures of well, critters. I feel like you're a well-known, like around here at least, well-known wildlife photographer. Like I, th- I think of most people probably think of you in that sense. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that some today. We talked about it just a hair bit before the podcast started. But yep. I do. I, that is on my notes. It's something I want to talk about. But really, the main reason that we scheduled this podcast kind of stems from a meeting about two weeks ago where, you know, we had a a meeting up front, some people in communications, and you dropped by, kind of just, you know, spur of the moment, just we're in the meeting. And the reason for it was to basically give us a rundown of HIP. Um, Because that, you know, that's a survey that we've been requiring for anybody hunting migratory birds for a few years now. Most people know what HIP is, but the reason you're in that meeting was to explain the use of it and kind of explain how the data is used. And I'll be honest with you, I've been filling out HIP, I'd been pushing HIP, but I did not know the things that you told us about in that meeting as far as how it was broken down and how it was useful. And I think I'm probably, like, if you categorized people who hunt and fish into categories, I'd probably fit in the geek category because I kind of like the behind the scenes, the science, and I kind of like seeing the numbers. I think other people probably do too, but I thought it was really interesting. And so basically, as far as HIP goes, there was how we did it before and there were some problems with it. There was the adjustments that we made and then how the data is used and then how that's been adopted. So I was kind of hoping you'd give Lee and myself a rundown of that same thing again. And hopefully our listeners can take something from it and understand how we're using that data and why it's important. Sure. And and HIP, HIP is an incredibly important program for me. And it's, and it's a federal program. We collect the data, but it's actually for everybody hunting migratory birds in this country. It is a requirement under federal law. Okay. So we, we administer it and we... Uh, we collect your information, but our th- that information is then sent to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who ad- who basically administers it. And mm-hmm. It's the Migratory Bird Harvest Information Program, is what HIP stands stands for, and it and it gives us an idea of how many birds are being harvested in this country. Uh-huh. And you know, it's a, it's it's really important because if we manage wildlife scientifically. Mm-hmm. We, and we're going to have harvest, it's important to know how many we kill. Mm-hmm. And so HIP is a great uh, tool to that end. And so uh, for years when I started uh, here in Kentucky, we'd go to meetings and they would pull up, would talk about HIP, and Kentucky was the poster child for the worst data in America. <laughs> the worst. At the worst. That's we were, we were <laughs> yeah, I think us and Tennessee and Texas were considered the worst uh, data in America. And so I, I got tired of hearing that. And so I went to our commissioner and our commission and asked, could we make some changes 
to make our data better. Mm -hmm. And uh, they agreed that it was important, and so we made some changes. And so we have the system that now, if you go do HIP, you buy your license, and then you go into my profile, and you go in and answer these questions. And we removed it from the license buying process because mm -hmm. what happened in lots of cases is if you went and bought your license at Walmart, mm -hmm. the vendor there learned that if I say no, you don't intend to hunt migratory birds, it wouldn't ask any more questions. Not just Walmart, but Sportsman's yeah. Warehouse, because e I work everywhere. there everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. State so, Fair? So uh, everywhere. Yeah. I, I did it. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> so we had 10 our people staff waiting. did it at times. Yeah. And so we, we, we pulled it out of the license buying. The other problem that we ran into is Kentucky has the sportsman's license, mm -hmm. which is a mm -hmm. fantastic thing. I buy one every year. I know so many people do. But it, with sportsmen's, you get every permit we have, mm -hmm. and which includes hip. And so, or migratory bird. Migratory bird. And so, but the hip is actually included in there. And so people were get we were dumping with sportsmen's we also have the the senior license and things mm -hmm. so we were dumping the fish and wildlife service with hundreds of thousands of names of people that got the permit and weren't and most of them probably weren't bird hunters so you got people who are deer hunters and turkey hunters and like to go hunt or fishing mm -hmm. you know like the, 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 the senior licenses yeah. a ton of those guys just want to go out and fi men and women just would go out and fish a little bit. Well, u.s yeah. fish and wildlife was seeing their name on the list yeah. of a migratory so bird. they yes and so we now if you want to go hunt migratory birds you do you you go online take the it takes you longer to log in to actually answer the questions and it, it the whole process is less than a minute yeah probably mm -hmm. and so you go answer those questions and now we know that Lee McCullough is a dove hunter, yeah, and yeah. we were able to pull that out. And so, there's over the years, there's been lots of confusion about this hip. You know, the, yeah, the questions that you get. You know, the first question is, do you intend to hunt migratory birds? Mm -hmm. And then they ask you, did you hunt last year? And if you said yes, then it will ask you some more. Did you hunt doves? Did you hunt ducks? Did you hunt geese? Did you hunt? woodcock or any of the other species and so uh and under those there's a series of questions if you said you hunted doves did you kill zero did you kill one to five or yeah. 15 to 30 or 30 or more and over the years people would call me and go i said 30 or more but i really only killed 18 your data is not good mm -hmm. and it's really that's not what the system does mm -hmm. it it stratifies you it classifies you so lee said i killed one to five doves is that lee? And, no i didn't actually I, I took a limit with covid last year okay. didn't realize I, I just use my yeah, example yeah, yeah. i'm not picking on you and you say you killed 30 plus of course yes and i say i killed zero but i, I hunted but i didn't kill any Mm -hmm. So it's stratified now. So I am a considered kind of a, last year I wasn't very dedicated to it. Mm -hmm. And Lee was a little more dedicated than me, but you're a hardcore. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it the basically where we get our information is from a later survey that comes to hunters. And so for me, one in a hundred people like me would get surveyed. Mm -hmm. For Lee, one in 50 or 75 get surveyed. And for you as a hardcore hunter, one in 25 or, you know, so we, we sample at different rates depending on how hardcore the hunter is or isn't. And, but even if you put down the wrong number, you still have a chance of getting sampled. And what happens is if you get sampled, the Fish and Wildlife Service will send you a letter and say, hey, are you willing to keep a harvest log? Mm -hmm. And so every day... Lee goes and hunts doves this year. He'll write down on September 1st, I hunted for three and a half hours and I shot uh, 
11 doves. Mm-hmm. And then I hunted on September 7th. Which I would be thrilled with. At, at, at <laughs> September 7th. And so you would record all the dove hunts that you had that year. And so that information would say, oh, then we would use to extrapolate out to what everybody else is doing. Or you might receive a survey that where they ask you, you know, hey, will you, for every dove you shoot, cut one wing off and drop it in this envelope mm-hmm. and mail it to us? And so from this information, one, we have an information of how many hours people are hunting, how many birds are killing, and then with the wings, we're able to look at distribution of harvest. Is it adults mm-hmm. or juveniles? Are we shooting young birds or adults mm-hmm. uh, with doves? And if it's ducks, then we can tell species and uh, uh, the age and sex and things like that. So it gives us a lot of information. And you said sometimes when people send in their wings, there's a few oddballs. Oh, yeah. There's a, but the dove, I've been to the dove wing bee. They have it every November ish up in uh, Kansas City area. And uh, there are killdeer wings. There are kestrel wings. There are nighthawk wings. Yeah. Uh, there's, don't know. Yeah. Sometimes they, they make some mistakes. And so yeah. your first step is to go through and pull out those oddballs and and then uh we we go for that and there's a fair number there'll be white winged dove wings mixed in and we pull those out what's too. the percentage of people who are asked to send in wings and stuff uh again it with a a hard somebody who's it's a hard you end, have to be a hardcore I, 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 well person. i mean uh, somebody who's who said they shot them in the higher category i think it's one in 50 of those people are sampled okay if you're if you are in the very casual it might be one in a hundred or one in two hundred or something like that depending on the species mm-hmm. if you said you hunted rails mm-hmm. you're going to get sampled mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean because they're in kentucky we have seven rail hunters so they're probably going to send you there mm-hmm. just aren't many rail hunters so seven. Uh, I, uh, that's an yeah, exaggeration I mean, but it's, yeah. it's a you know we have less than 500 woodcock hunters we have less than 500 rail hunters and and folks like that so if you say that you hunted rails last year you're going to likely get a survey huh so essentially and then you said this has been adopted by other states yes and so what our what we did our data we used to basically with under the old system where there was all this confusion it the data would come out and say we shot 120,000 ducks in kentucky plus or minus 80 percent 80 percent yeah and so somewhere between 20,000 and 200,000 du- uh, ducks was what we were shooting. Which is a horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. A horrible. I number. mean, it doesn't help. That helps zero. Yeah. So, uh, so it doesn't really help. So now with the new way we do it, our, our confidence intervals have shrunk. And so now we say we shoot 120,000 plus or minus 8 or 10%. Okay. Well, that's not but, so bad. No, that's, that's well, within, yeah. well within reason. And so our, our, our changes were so successful uh, that the, the basically the AFWA, which is the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, mm-hmm. collection of all the state agencies in the country, they have a task force about HIP, and they recognize this. And so now seven or eight or nine states have jumped on board with how we do it and are removing this from the, especially the vendors, mm-hmm. but are, are making it so that only people who really hunt migratory birds are answering these questions and are getting this permit. And it's uh, Texas, uh, Tennessee, uh, it's two of our big offenders. Uh, I know Iowa and some other, there's uh, probably 12 or 15 states that have joined in with us and are, are doing it in the new way. And uh, we're having a lot of, lot better data. So what it means is, as a biologist, when I've got bad data, mm-hmm. I have to be conservative. 
because I don't know how many we're shooting. Yeah, because you got to err on the side yeah, of caution. Yeah, I have to be. I have to. The ultimate goal is to protect the population. Mm-hmm. So in this case now, I know what we're shooting, mm-hmm. and I and and across the flyway we know what we're shooting, and so we can be more liberal in our seasons. We can have we we don't have to be so conservative because we know exactly what our harvest is. Yeah, because when you were when the plus or minus was eighty percent, you were like, well, we could be shooting two hundred thousand. Well, I have to plan our season dates around. Yeah. The possibility that, that we're shooting two hundred thousand, yeah. But now that it's plus or minus ten percent, it's like we might be shooting one hundred thirty-two thousand. Yeah, yeah. So, so that we that we can live with, and yeah. we can live with that little bit. I mean, there's no way you're going to get a perfect number. Mm-hmm. So, but ten percent, man, that's, that's good. Really, yeah, I mean, the improvement is yeah. eight hundred times. Yeah, you know, eight hundred percent. You know, if you look at eighty to ten or something like Com- that, compared mm-hmm. to everything else we manage, yeah. we have probably more data for migratory birds than anything else. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, I I used to teach at EKU here, and I would teach a class that called the mallard duck. Mm -hmm. And it was basically, I asked the students, what what species do we know more about than any other? Mm -hmm. First answer is deer, second, whatever. And eventually, no, it's mallard. And I would ask, how many deer are there in Kentucky? Mm -hmm. And everybody stares at each other, and I'm like, I don't really exactly know. I said, billion-ish is what our estimate is. And they've got, now we have some better estimates, but we can't go count deer. Yeah, yeah, there's no way to go. But ducks, we're doing summer surveys. We're, I mean, we just got done with our breeding survey. We fly ducks, fly surveys all over the breeding areas for ducks. We have these hip surveys, so we know what harvest is. We know uh, we banned, so we know impacts of harvest rates on birds. So we have a, just more information about mallards than any other species out there. I thought it was interesting. Um, I mean, in a nutshell, we were getting horrible data because we were, um, you know, tasking licensed vendors to do it. They're in a hurry. They get, mm-hmm. they get line. You know how it is. Well, the day well, before I've been there. At the yeah. Walmart counter, you got everybody trying to find shotgun shells. Yeah. They've got 20 people lined up. They're just hitting. They go as fast as they can. Yeah. And so we were getting horrible yeah. data. And they were getting horrible mm-hmm. data. And, and people would call me, I've got to have hip, but I haven't done it. And it was in the system they done. They didn't even tell the people, you know, like they're just checking them. And as soon as you say no, then you have it. Yeah. But they didn't, you know, they didn't even know that they had it. And so you put people at, you know, kind of at, they were, there was a lot of confusion. And so ultimately now people are, are doing it and uh, it, they're, you know, and with our, talking to our officers on a regular occasion, 90 plus percent of the people that they check in the dove field have, have mm-hmm. done it. And so, you know, it's, it's, and the ones that haven't, they, you know, hand them a business card that has a QR code on it and they can scan it and go right then and do it yeah. and get it done. It is important to do it though. I know for like when this first rolled out for the first year or two, we were doing education mm-hmm. with, you know, yeah. law enforcement was in the field. If they found somebody who hadn't done it, they were educating them, letting them do it. Yeah. But now I think we've kind of moved to the enforcement. Yeah. If you, you, you can get a ticket for it. Yeah. I'm sure uh, people again, do. And, and, and I don't, I, I don't, follow how many there are but it was never intent to yeah. create a system that yeah. caused again it is a federal it's federal law you yeah. have to do this i just wouldn't and, if i was a dove hunter i wouldn't plan on it a law enforcement officer letting you do yeah it. Okay, no, you no, know, absolutely not no, i would uh, get it done before yeah, and, and most people again the vast majority like i said almost all that the officers check mm-hmm. generally it's somebody that's older who isn't as computer savvy or something yeah. and you know it's it's they have discretionary powers or whatever but it's 
Yeah, when they check duck hunters and things like that, they almost never find somebody who hadn't done it. It's dove, right? Sounds good. Yeah. So it's, do- it's the dove field is the most likely place and, to and, find. And, and by having this good data, potentially you're going to have more opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, they get, we have we do not have to be as conservative. And you think for doves, we got a lot of doves, so mm-hmm. that's not as big a deal. But for something like, if you're a duck hunter, canvasbacks or scalp or some of these other species that we worry about this this really improves our wood ducks like we wood ducks are our most is our only nesting really nesting duck we have in kentucky and uh, we harvest we harvest a lot of wood ducks for their population so we shoot somewhere between 15 and 16 percent of the population every year uh, half of those are killed in Kentucky in September, and the other half are killed in Louisiana in the in December and January. Mm-hmm. And so, this day, you know, and the population can har- handle harvest up to like eighteen or nineteen mm-hmm. percent. So, it's important to know exactly mm-hmm. what we're doing and and have good data because when we're harvesting that close to that threshold, we we don't you know bad data doesn't, doesn't allow us to harvest that close to the threshold yeah. so if you remember a few years ago we bumped from two to three wood mm-hmm. ducks and that's uh and that comes from that ability to have better and better data so really it results in a better um, opportunity for the sportsman absolutely is, i is, mean that's it and it, it, you know is it, we all i think almost everybody who hunts and fishes mm-hmm. are conservationists they care about the resource sure, that they yeah. hunt mm-hmm. and they enjoy it and they want it to be there forever and so by answering these simple questions, they make, you know, the biologists like me, my, my job easier. You know, you mm-hmm. just yeah. are able to know, okay, you know, we're shooting this many. I and mean, with how many, you know, uh, if we don't know how many we're shooting, then it's, yeah. it's just the, the good old it's, days. It's of, a guessing uh, game. Yeah. Back in the before, mm-hmm. you know, 1900, where we drove populations to serious, you know. I mean, Their extinction. We, yeah. I mean, passenger pigeon, the most abundant bird on the planet. Mm-hmm. With billions and billions, we shot them in an unregulated fashion for a century and wiped them out. Yeah. Yep. Last one died of what? Cincinnati Zoo. In like yeah. 19- I've, I've been to Martha's Cage. I wrote a story yeah. about it. And it's so. Uh, it's but I mean from billions to none. To billions to none. I mean, I think I remember in Michigan, like in 1880, they harvested millions. By 1890, gone. The um. <laughs> oh, you know, and obviously people didn't shoot every single one of them. But you said a second ago with wood ducks, you know, we can harvest up to 18%, right? Right. So people obviously just harvested well over whatever that, that number right. would have been. And Absolutely. then they just, the bottom and, fell and, out. And, and, and passenger pigeons, different than morning doves. I mean, if you had morning doves nest on your porch, you know, they might do it three or four times a summer. Or you know, mm-hmm. if you're in the deep south, five times. Passenger pigeons, one time, one egg one egg one egg so you're essentially re- requiring a life expectancy of at least three or four years yeah. with a survival rate of yeah. 100 yeah mm-hmm. yeah to, 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 to replace them yes wow so and then once it got hunted to that certain level the bottom fell out they, correct? The and there there were there's the, the most fascinating thing i've ever seen there's a presentation that was given at flyway by a, a young guy who is working for this foundation that is working on the de-extinction of passenger pigeons and I, basically, the, he did a lot of the, the biology before they even consider this as to look at, okay, there was lots of stories like passenger pigeons nest in a colony. And that they, people thought, well, there was some kind of threshold size that the colony had to be or the birds would exi- wouldn't exist. And what they found was if you look at all the museum specimens, the number of young to number of adults do not change through their, through the, from 1800 to 1900 when they're gone. 
So it tells us that young birds were still there at the same rate that they were before. There just weren't enough to keep mm. the population going. And the other one that everybody talked about, the chestnuts are gone. So passenger pigeons, you know, were, everybody assumed the passenger pigeons were somehow tied to chestnuts. And what really happened was that chestnuts are too big for passenger pigeons to eat. Mm but acorns are not. And so the passenger pigeons basically drove oak populations to non-existence and allowed mm. uh, the, the chestnuts to flourish. Mm, and so, th so those are two reasons not, I mean, there aren't reasons not to try to bring the species back. And so I haven't heard recently, but they were, they were talking about, they were basically taking the DNA of, of, of band-tailed pigeons, which is only slightly different than passenger pigeons, combining it with uh, DNA from museum specimens of passenger pigeons. And they were talking about having a living passenger pigeon in the late 20s. I don't know how I feel about that. It's, you know, Jurassic Park comes to life or whatever. See, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't know. It, and, and somebody asked, is this bad because you're uh, giving people the license to cause the extinction? Something say, "Well, just bring it back." And his answer was, "This is so hard. You never want to do this." It's, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It's interesting. It's a. Uh, it's uh, you know. And Way beyond my. I'm not a geneticist. Rick and I visited the Cincinnati Museum of Natural History, and uh, one of the guys who worked at the zoo's wife worked there and let us go into the collections. And I held one that was harvested. Uh, I think in Avondale neighborhood, maybe of Cincinnati in 1898, yeah. and it's wild to hold a specimen of a species that's extinct. Yeah. I mean, it just it was trippy. Yeah. The uh, when you were talking about, earlier, I said uh, I feel like I'm a little bit of a nerd or a geek, but when you were talking about the chestnuts and the acorns and the passenger pigeons would eat all the acorns, which gave the chestnuts a chance to flourish, it made me think about like the evolution of trees too. Mm. Well, that explains why chestnuts have such large, you know nuts on them yeah. because certain things can eat them so that gives them a chance it's just kind of weird once you dive into how everything really worked together um yeah. it, i mean it's like but fat. the blight <laughs> but once the blight took the chestnuts out of the equation yeah did that put all the pressure on the well and but the other fans. thing that, that i mean once the i mean the blight took the chestnuts out about the same time humans took out passenger yeah. pigeons yeah. so that, that you know our forests now we look out there predominantly oak forest where if we still had the billions of passenger pigeons, they wouldn't be. I don't know what it would be. Maybe we wouldn't have a, it'd be something non, non oak because they love acorns. Hmm. So hmm. they were, they were. Some more hickories. In yeah. There. More yeah. hickories or something like that. That's a, that, that is fascinating. And you reminded me, I actually did my hip the other day <clears throat> online, but I need to reprint my license. Because yeah. when you, if you do hip, so this is all done on my profile. You can go to fw.ky.gov, my profile, and it's right there on the right, right, Migratory Bird Survey. And it literally takes one minute to do. But after you do it, you can reprint your license, and it'll print it yeah, right It'll have the on. hip on there, yeah. Or if you don't have a printer or something, a lot of people don't, you can just write it. Yeah, I've right written mine. Yeah. I've hit my handwritten yeah. mine, too. You know what? Now that I think about it, the Boatfish KY app would update, too. <coughs> you can update your license in there, and so you can have it on you. Mm -hmm. And I think that Pretty officers fun. in the field would accept that just fine. Yeah. It, that's one good thing about the Boatfish KY app is yeah. storing that license. And, and, when and you I, don't have to worry about reception. <coughs> I mean... You know, well, you it's inside your phone. I was out with officers on the 4th of July, and we checked fishermen, and, and everybody almost had the digital. They were all pulling up screenshots. And everybody stuff like but that. me, because my paper <laughs> yeah. one's right there. I like I the paper copy. <laughs> I have me a too. paper copy. Because I have the trouble that 
you got a duck stamp. You got to affix your duck stamp to the mm-hmm. license. So I got to have, you can't, I can't really stick your duck stamp to the back of your phone, I guess. So. I, like, I like these little things. Mm-hmm. I, I just too. like carrying my little license holder and mm-hmm. put it in my bag. It feels official, you know, yeah, no. like I'm, I'm really supposed to be here. Uh, I, 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 I weirdly kind of struggle with, a, I guess, updated from the old school wallet, leather wallet or whatever yeah. to one of these new, I don't know what they're called, mm-hmm. but the little kind of card holder wallets. I'm like, what am I going to do with my license? And I actually yeah. found that I took a little envelope that you could put a credit card in and stuck my license in that. And now yeah. it just rides in there. That's <laughs> what, yeah. We, we give those out, those little. Yeah. These yeah. little things? Well, those, I've got a bunch of those. The, and uh, then the little paper one, too, uh, that you fold in. All I carry now is my, this this phone case, literally. Yeah. And it has a little thing on the back that holds my cards. Mm-hmm. If I ever lose this, I'm up a creek. Yeah. But um, my license, what I do, because you can just print them and print them. Mm-hmm. So I print like four copies mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And I put one in my fishing backpack, I put one in my life jacket, I put one in my car, and there's one in my hunting backpack. And pretty much, I sometimes I might grab a backpack and go somewhere and not have it, but most of the time, it's pretty well covered. Yeah. So that that's I, the way I go about it. I have to say, my, my waterfowl hunting bag has one stuck in it, yep. and my deer, but, you know. That it, yeah, I've got one for the hunting stuff, uh, one for fishing. Yeah. Yeah, and then your only problem is if you record a harvest on one, it's you know it's only on the one. Yeah. But usually, you know, you're pretty well covered as long as you have that confirmation because you can reprint and it puts all the yeah. stuff right there on it. But yeah, I, I thought when you gave that that spiel the other day to the the comms team, I thought that was pretty interesting because I knew about hip. I guess I just thought kind of like you were talking about most people thinking that you guys were taking okay, I hit fifteen to thirty, and you were saying okay, well there's fifteen to thirty. What's the next person got? The next person's got one to five, so now we're at you know. Mm-hmm. 20 to 35 is what and just adding it up and getting an account but really you're doing something much more detailed survey well and because it's when it's not as detailed in the sense that you're counting every answer but what you're doing is you're eliminating some error mm-hmm. by by categorizing I'll, I'll tell you that 20 to 30 percent of the answers that people give mm-hmm. are wrong <laughs> Oh, like wow. it, it, I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, I don't know if and just as the vendors decided that they could make this faster but our hunters they will they'll click no so that they don't have to answer the survey and then when you survey them later you find out that oh yeah oh yeah i killed i killed about 25 dove last year yeah and 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 part of this was i removed it again initially we moved it from the license buying process because back in the day when we started looking at it people would buy a migratory bird duck permit and 20 to 30% of those people were when on the hip were saying, no, we don't intend to hunt migratory birds. <laughs> so why would you buy this, not included, not in sportsman's or whatever, but buy this, you know, our duck hunting permit or our migratory bird permit and then say, no, I don't intend to hunt them. So it, that's why we separated out and made, it, made you go do a separate fashion. You know, this just gave me, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but <clears throat> that just brought up another benefit in my mind to Kentucky Wild. Because before, if you had someone who didn't hunt and fish, but they wanted to support conservation, we were saying, well, just you can still buy a hunting or fishing license. And now they have the Kentucky Wild Avenue, so they can make, you know, they can become a member and support conservation that way. But they were getting included into numbers of people who hunt and fish. And so that was actually giving us bad data before. So really, there's a benefit to Kentucky Wild just, you know, the same way that you're saying that. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, it makes perfect sense because it's awesome to offer these license bundles like the sportsmen's or the senior disabled or the, and, but you really need to know what you actually are, are dealing with. 
So the, the states before this that had good data mm-hmm. don't have sportsmen's. Mm. They don't mm. have the the super combo sportsman's license. They have you buy every single license individually. Mm. And they had really really good data because you were only surveying those people who bought that particular that yeah. license. Mm. And yeah. it kind of falls into the same thing that like uh Laura Palmer's doing with the Bobcats mm-hmm. because you know, you don't need you you didn't need anything besides a hunting license to bobcat hunt but we were i guess starting to see more of an uptick in, in predator hunters or bobcat harvest or they wanted better data so now you're required to get that free bobcat permit and that's just giving her that data point of this is actually how many people i mean i know that our other programs some of our other folks the quail and turkey and all those folks i mean they're envious of the data that we get from migratory birds because there are a lot of the spe- squirrel hunters. How many squirrel hunters are there in Kentucky? No we clue. don't. We don't know. I mean, because yeah. they're mixed in, mm-hmm. you know, the sportsmen's and the small game, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just rabbit. Yeah, something. I mean, all those things are are meshed into. I mean, it'd be it's really nice to know exactly what you're dealing with, mm-hmm. and you know, without making you know, the, we don't want to make our sportsmen's lives hard and have to answer a million questions mm-hmm. and do things. But sometimes it's there's there's serious value for us as managers of knowing what we're dealing with oh, i completely agree and your your program is you know federally federally regulated I, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm i have the blessing of the federal uh, in so many ways i mean there's p- hardships with it but there are we're mandated to do these things mm-hmm. and so we have to have to do them and we and it and it makes us you know uh, better managers of these species because yeah. we really we we have far more data to work with than most people do that clears like from your point of view lee did that clear some things up on hip yes because i just thought it was interesting you know so as soon as when it first came out we wrote some releases about it and stuff but there's always more to learn i think it's it's incredibly important our our marketing director called me the other day and he was like is there any way i could get some information about how many goose hunters we have and there was somebody from the industry from a decoy maker that was looking for information about kentucky goose hunters I'm like, here it is. Here's every year the Fish and Wildlife Service is going to come out. What is the 18th Friday? I guess whatever Friday is. Yeah. Uh, it'll come out and it'll say last year there were this many goose hunters in Kentucky. They shot this many geese and there are this many dove hunters. And so all the, every year there's an annual report that tells us every detail of harvest in Kentucky. And, is and that available all, to the public? Huh? Yes, absolutely. It's on the Fish and Wildlife Service's Migratory Bird uh, website. If you if you search for uh, the uh, hunter harvest surveys with Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, you can come up with it relatively easy. Uh, cool. I could see that being actually pretty it, useful it, to a manufacturer. Yeah, mm-hmm. And you can just sit and, I mean, there's just so much data there. You just see, yeah. look at, unfortunately, it used to be every one used to be included uh, for the last 20, 30 years. Uh, but now the government with some of their accessibility rules the, the old ones are not available anymore because they haven't been updated to the new format that allows uh, everybody to access. So how far back? Like a couple of years. Just ago. a couple of years. That's right all now. you need. Because yeah. I'm thinking from a mar- from their standpoint, they're thinking: or is there an uptick? Is yeah. is goose hunting growing? Are there a lot of because they're thinking about you know advertising and targeting people, and and they want to get in the markets that are growing or have a you know customers that might buy their products. Absolutely, so and it makes see, perfect sense. Like and yeah, for us, Kentucky. In 2000, goose hunting was Ballard County in western Kentucky, yep. whatever, and now goose hunting is central Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shoot 80, 90% of the geese that are shot in Kentucky are shot 
between the, you know Cincinnati and Louisville and Lexington. The Golden Triangle. Yep. <coughs> so that's you know that's where our goose harvest I mean, occurs. When I first started with the department, that was two years after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> two years after, the I didn't think the department was right. Yeah. 1868. Now I remember going and, and going to Green Wing and eating at Goose Two Restaurant at 5 a.m. and everybody in there was decked what out in their saying? camo and you know everybody's getting their biscuits and gravy and getting ready to head out to the blinds. I'll tell you, the older I get, the more I feel like I'd like waterfowl hunting yeah. because I've I've gotten to the point now where. I love turkey hunting because I can take a my, my thermos of coffee in there with me and I don't have to worry about smell. Yeah. Now, I've gotten to the point where when I go deer hunting, I, I sometimes I do the same thing. You know what I mean? Just because yeah. it's really nice to have that coffee in the stand and watch the sunrise. It's just as enjoyable to me as the actual being, that, being out in the it's like as, as I get being out in the woods like, when the sun comes up, it's great no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, for me, as I get older, like dove hunting is now. I mean, I've always loved dove hunting, but now you, it's a social event. You go out there with your friends, mm-hmm. and it's afternoon. The weather's, you know, if it could be hot, but if it's not hot, it's a nice afternoon. And, you know, you don't, you can talk to everybody and you don't have to, you know, mm-hmm. duck hunting is that same social thing. Mm-hmm. Duck hunters tend to be, and you get information from all this, duck hunters tend to be young guys mm-hmm. or they tend to be old codgers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that you get to about 35 or 40. And then you get out of duck hunting, and then you come back later in life when you got money to, you know, mm-hmm. when you're young, you crawl through the mud and you get there mm-hmm. however you got to get there. And then you get, and then you get your 40, you're like, I've got kids now and I'm busy and I don't go very much. And you get later and, and you've got a little bit more money and you, mm-hmm. free you time. yeah, and you, and you, and you go again. Yeah, you kind of miss it probably. Yeah. So think about being yeah. young. I mean, I don't mind a three o'clock wake up call, you know, <laughs> but I mean, that's a lot of times if you're waterfowl and it's, yeah, 3 a.m. wake up. Yeah, I usually but, enjoy it. But I, yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's... We were talking about, um, <clears throat> you know, that's one of the things about waterfowl hunting or dove hunting is that you aren't worried about scent. Yeah. And you can talk to your buddy when you see the birds coming. You know, you just hush up then. Um, but, they, you know, it's kind of that little bit more laid back than if I'm climbing in the deer stand on September 2nd this year at 530 a.m. because I'm, like, laser focused on something and I'm out there by myself and I'm not going to say a word mm-hmm. for four hours. But so this kind of rolls into the wildlife photography thing because last year uh, when i tagged out it was pretty early i still had the whole pre-rut i still had the leaves changing ahead of me i still had the rut ahead of me and i didn't want to be done so i started going out and almost exactly like i was deer hunting taking a camera a, a dslr on a tripod taking my coffee out there and it was almost like i was rifle hunting for deer in October as the leaves were changing, but I was doing it with a camera instead. Mm-hmm. And I found it to be very enjoyable. It's it really, I mean, I, like I said, I love it. And and your best pictures come from those where you're targeting, you in your mind, you go in, you're targeting this one thing. And that you, you go out and there's the, the prey, the, the, the spray and prey theory, you just take a billion pictures and hope there's one good one. Mm-hmm. But the reality, your best pictures come for like what you said. Mm-hmm. You got to set up. You're just like you're in your stand. You know what the deer are doing. You're you're getting that that one image. If you walk away with that one image, that's really and, good. As you get that's more experience, yeah. don't you think you you're like I think I nailed that. One. Yeah, you know you and, feel like and, I think I've got something. But in you the only camera. nail it because you've got you've made all the work. You've done yeah. all the work ahead, and you have the setup and the you know that you that those are the best pictures in the end. And yeah. with digital, it's so great you can shoot to your heart's content. 
I, I was shooting like I was uh, just got back from North Dakota and I was photographing retrievers. I was, I do field trials with dogs and and uh, I was photographing the dogs one day and I I don't remember it was I think almost a terabyte of pictures <laughs> by the time I was done for the for the couple of days. So like the little my external drive I took was a one terabyte drive and it was almost full. That's a lot of pictures. Yeah, but you're also shooting probably you know mm-hmm. big it's, raw. It, everyone is like a whatever a forty me- forty megapixels or something. Mm-hmm. So each image is is sixty megabytes. It's, so it doesn't take long. It's for a you goblet. Fill up, yeah. You fill up a lot of a lot of hard drive space. I had the pleasure of going out with a photographer from National Geographic covering an elk hunt and he ran a double truck picture of a woman from indiana who took a big uh, six by six and she was going and it was right right after sunrise he didn't flash he says oh, oh he never used flash but today i was like well how many how many pictures would you shoot on average day you know we were at the walmart parking lot waiting for everybody to come he goes oh i didn't shoot very many today i shot 700 <laughs> he no. said for a typical spread he'll shoot between 12 and fifteen thousand photos it's uh, if, I mean, to use maybe what maybe less than three dozen yeah. of them. Uh, then yeah. the old uh, what, professor I used to work for that kind of got me into photography. When digital first came along, he was shooting a bunch, and he would be like, "Film's cheap." Yeah, you know, like that. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's all digital. There's no film, but uh, but even back, I started on Kodachrome and shooting slides, and uh, I mean, there were times where I'd have twenty or thirty rolls of film from a trip or yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. And, Film that wasn't. Well, it was nerve wracking. When you were a college student, that wasn't wasn't cheap. <laughs> no. Well, when I started here, we were shooting slides, and that was nerve wracking. You go out because you yeah. wouldn't know for three yeah. or four days. Do I have anything for the story? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's now you know. It's so nice to. I mean, it just changes the world, and you have all the details of what. I mean, heck, the cameras recording half the time now. They've got GPS, and so you know the exact mm-hmm. location the camera yeah. was shot, and yep. it's it's. Mm-hmm. You can, if it's not quite perfect, you can Jason knows it. how to look them up, too. Tweak oh, it. Yeah. I do. People post their uh, fish photos sometimes. I can go in the metadata. Yeah. That's why you should always, the, the tip, pro tip for the podcast listeners, is you can turn off the location services on your phone for your photos. So when you take a photo and you text it to your buddy, they can't swipe up and see exactly where you're at. But if your buddy sends you a good photo, you might want to save it and then swipe up <laughs> see, if, see if you can figure out where it is. Because, I mean, I've seen that several times. And another good tip is if you post it to uh, <clears throat> social media it'll remove that metadata yeah. so then if you share that social media version of your photo it's it's perfectly yeah. fine but you know that's just a little behind the, a lot of people don't think about that yeah. but I, I remember last year so i actually the very first day i carried a camera into the field with me last year was the day i actually harvested my buck and <clears throat> i just borrowed this lens i went and picked it up on the way to the stand that day it was a sigma 60 to 600 um, you know, I couldn't tell you the F-stops or anything. Right. But I took it up there, and I was like, I'm just going to play with this today and see if I can, you know. So I, there was a squirrel. I was trying to play with the focus, and I was messing with the, the iris and everything. And then about 45 minutes before dark, 600 yards away, here popped out two bucks from the tree line. So I started taking pictures of them and, and taking photos as they were browsing through the field. And then, you know, within 10 minutes before shooting light was gone, I looked up, and I realized they were 75 yards and stomping my way. So I put the camera down and, <laughs> yeah. and picked my bow up and luckily made a really good shot and, and harvested that buck that night. But then from that point on, so I did get pictures of the buck in the field, but then from that point on, I took more of, I went out, you know, to take pictures. And the, the idea is at some point, I want to take a photo that's good enough to be published for something. 
You know what I mean? That's kind of just like the goal. The Kentucky Field Magazine would be excellent. But there's a lot mm-hmm. of really good photographers. Mm-hmm. But I think this year I'm going to delve into that a Wait, bit more, too. Send them. Yeah. But We're I always to, looking. And, and We've used I, several of your pictures in the magazine. Not in the, the calendar is what no. I'm saying. Yeah. The calendar is the, the, the you know, the... What is it? I got lucky and had one in there one time. Did you? Have you ever had a photo in there? <laughs> I've had. Oh, he's had several. Yeah. I thought you had. But uh, the, I mean, the, the your position you're in, like the our agency, a lot of time is searching for more than just the critter, mm-hmm. the act of hunting. I mean, oh, like yeah. the, yeah, the, uh, the or fishing. Yeah, I know that we're always looking for fishing pictures yeah. and things like that that are new and unique and different. And and I still have this. I. When we were running the boat one time, I took a picture up on the bow with a super slow uh, uh, shutter speed. And so the boat, all the spray going off the side of the boat is is blurred and the the trees are kind of blurred as you're running down the river. And it was in the duck boat, but it like always thought if you put one on the bow of a bass boat mm-hmm. and set that slow exposure like that, it would like be really cool to have a picture and I've just never gotten around to kind of see the motion. Yeah. It kind of shows you the action because if yeah. everything is perfectly crisp, you're really looking at just a, a snapshot of time. Yeah. But if you get that motion, it's yeah. like you can see that. Yeah. It's, ju- it's, it's just a different, again, something different than we see. And so, so how did you get into wild? Like what, what was it that made you decide you wanted to go take some photos the first time you ever did it? Uh, I, 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 in high school, younger, my, my dad actually taught photography in high school. My dad was a teacher. Both my parents were teachers. And, and so I had a camera from a pretty young age. And in high school, I was a yearbook photographer. And so I shot lots of pictures. And then when I went to college, I worked for a professor that was a big wildlife photographer. And he made the mistake one day. We were on the beach at Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. And he's like, here, put this lens on your camera. And he, I attached my camera to a 600 millimeter lens and i look through the darn thing and i'm like oh my gosh i gotta have this <laughs> so uh, from then on it was uh, uh it was a mission to own a lens and fortunately right about the time i graduated was late in kind of college i helped with the movie weekend at bernie's oh, really? and, Did you? And, yeah i was helping coordinate the water scenes my boss basically was coordinated all those water scenes and so i made a ridiculous amount of money for a kid and uh was able to buy my first 500 millimeter lens and hmm. uh so cool. i had that lens for almost 20 years and uh shot a lot of pictures through it that's awesome now the, that, that is cool <laughs> Swamp. Now, do, you, do you primarily like to shoot with the big lens the 600? I, do. I shoot i have a 600 i shoot if I'm shooting wildlife stuff, I shoot with it a bunch. I recently bought a lens just like what you're talking about. It's a Nikon. I think it's like 180 to 500 or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, I I was using it for the retrievers this week because it's I flew to North Dakota and it's so much easier to mm-hmm. carry than the big 600 is. And yeah. so uh, and it, it's a yeah you know, it's much cheaper and much whatever. So it's it did it did a pretty it's a little slow on autofocus for me, but. Uh, it did a pretty good job, so I, 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 I was impressed with it. It's fun. Yeah, you yeah. can get into different lenses. Some people, like a, a photographer I know here, just bought a, a much smaller lens, yep. like a, almost like a wide-angle lens. Oh. He's thinking about getting those up-close shots, so, yeah. you know, getting close to the subject. That mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily work with a lot of wildlife photography unless you're talking about getting the people. Yeah. You know, you're talking about cool shots of people fishing and people doing the activity. That would be a perfect lens for that. But if you want those tights where you can see the hairs on yeah. the mm-hmm. deer's eye, you know, you want to... There's a guy... There's a guy, there's a guy in Africa that has 
built this little remote control car that he puts a super wide angle lens on and he drives it up to the feet of a lion and photograph from below this like up the nose of a of a and it's the coolest pictures you've ever seen mm-hmm. or like up to a an elephant mm-hmm. and you're like shooting him from almost under and it's and so i always had this vision of building a turkey decoy <laughs> with that camera in the front <laughs> of it and you know how people do the fan yeah. and, and and walk up to the bird what would happen and you've all seen a uh male tur- yeah, tom attack at a decoy yeah what if you made a decoy that had the camera? And you imagine the feet up of the turkey yeah. coming in to just, mm-hmm. who knows? They might see themselves in the lens and just yeah. pack yeah. right on or, or just, you know, it's another male coming in. They're going to yeah. attack it. And yeah, who knows? I had this vision, but I've never actually, because everybody's always busy on hunting and killing one. They don't really want me to yeah. <laughs> come run Santa, my remote control When you're shooting right. that long lens, do you put the a monopod to support the weight I, of the lens? I, I prefer tripod. Or but tripod. Yes, yeah. I, I, but, yes, I will use a monopod at times. I mean, like for this with the retrievers, because I was flying, the tripod weighs 25 pounds or whatever. It's. I mean, even with our 200 uh, trying to handhold that thing, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, really hard. It's really hard. I put everything everything i can on the, I just, mon- I at least the on monopod, monopod but i, I prefer that. the tripod yeah if you've got a big lens i think the tripod's important because yeah. you're yeah. shooting further distances yeah. and you've got more weight so it's harder to hold but if you're like the, the the story i told in the deer stand i was obviously up in a tree so i was actually in saddle hunting that day and you know at a distance it's hard to be steady especially in low light because your your exposure time becomes longer yeah and so you that blur shows up but if you were shooting a smaller lens i would never have it on a tripod that's just me personally if i was trying to get a shot of a subject from within this room say yeah. oh yeah because you're going to be able to you want to zoom with your feet you yeah. know yeah instead of instead of yep. using that so that that's just yeah the saw the, the nikon rep gave a really good seminar at a conference and first thing he said is like the best zoom lens in the world are the things attached to the bottom of your legs yeah, <laughs> your yeah. two feet yeah. gotta zoom get with close yeah. well it's, yeah anyway it's it's the more, the more op, I mean, as a photographer, you want every kind of lens that you can possibly get from the big telephoto <laughs> to the super widest of angle because there's there's use for all of them somehow or another. Unfortunately, money gets in the way. Man, no, there's only so many of the darn things you can afford. Yeah, yeah, that is unfortunate, but it's fun. So when you go out in the field, uh, is there any certain species that you like shooting more than others? As far as critter, as far as photography. Well, I was going to ask you what your process would be like on a day. Say you're going to go take a photo, but I was going to try to narrow that down to a species. So, uh, it, it it just depends on a lot of my photography is done on a need basis. Mm-hmm. So I, I I need some quail pictures or I need whatever, and so that's where I set up and and go chase that species. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, phot- ducks are my are my favorite thing in the world, and and. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if I can, if you ask me to go photograph anything, it'd probably be go photograph ducks. But we don't have a ton of great spots in Kentucky to photograph ducks. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you know, even with the 600 millimeter lens, you've got to be close. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got, you need to be yeah, you know, within 20 You think feet. you have a ton yeah. until you get out there. You're yeah, like, you, God, you, I you got, you know, you got to be on top of things. And so it's, uh, it's difficult to. Wish I was 50 yards closer. Uh-huh. I don't know how many times. 50 I'm, yards is not close enough. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I wish I was 50 yards yeah, closer yeah, so many yeah. times. So it's uh, you got to have a, a blind and a in a protected site and uh, things like that. So there's, yeah, it requires me to travel a little bit to take some of those pictures. But I mean, heck, in your backyard, 
you can take some amazing pictures of songbirds that come to your bird feeders by setting up perches. You you know, don't want them on your feeder because that's cheesy. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you set up a perch they land on on their way to their feeder. Pick a nice you know branch and maybe some flowers, some native flowers that are blooming right at that moment, and arrange them and. Yeah, boom, you've got a really nice picture. Several generations of the Maslowski family. <laughs> That's how they made their yeah, I mean, bread and butter, you, but you know. I mean, a lot of the bird photographs you see nowadays are they, they set up a perch for the bird to come to and find a reason to get the bird there. And uh, it's uh, it, you can have some really, really nice pictures. Mm. And it's easy in your backyard. You can, you know, you can go do it and uh, without a ton of time and effort and without the without the greatest of photography gear yeah i've always thought that was interesting and i mean the photos it's like a whole new challenge and it's a way to extend your season you know in a way you don't have to be done hunting if you can get access to something like that like i said i borrowed borrowed something from my uncle and had fun with it last year so it's something i would suggest people if they have the opportunity to to at least delve into because it's a challenge you know Mm -hmm. My, my favorite wildlife photography i've done in kentucky is shaker village south of of mm-hmm. here uh the quail yeah those are there's a lot of quail great quail pictures. and the, they have tons of the old kentucky stone fences out there and so i was able to put the quail on the stone fence call them into me and they sit up on the fence and call and get photographs of quail on the old kentucky stone fence and it made for a made for some really cool. I think photos. one of them made the cover of the was calendar. The cover, one of them was on the cover of the calendar. Cover of the calendar. Yeah. The cover. Oh man, that's pretty. Uh, yeah. That's neat. I'm, I'm thinking of you're talking about kind of like <clears throat> doing things to position the wildlife. I think it'd be cool to run out there with a coyote call and just take a camera. I mean, you could think. I mean, you you're you're good enough predator caller. I mean, get there, get in your thing, and call that. I mean, yeah. call that 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 coyote or bobcat in or whatever. And yeah, that'd be cool. There's a guy in Texas named Wyman Menzer, and he's considered the state photographer of Texas. And there's actually Yeti's done one of their little video shorts on him. And he, a neat, oh, he was a, a a trapper back in the day, and he made his you know, made his career as a photographer by calling coyotes and photographing coyotes, and then photographing the landscapes and and everything of West Texas. And uh, he was actually, again, considered the state photographer of Texas. I think George Bush, when he was governor, made him the state photographer of Texas. Neatest character you've ever met, but calling predators. He he knew coyotes and he knew how to put them in the right place and took some incredible, if you see a coyote picture in a magazine somewhere, there's a good chance it's one of Wyman's pictures because he... You could even extend that past guy. I mean, you could go out there in uh, early November and rattle some horns together, and you get a big old buck. You know, swollen up buck coming in there, <laughs> drool coming out of his mouth. The pro- the problem with like bucks and turkeys that I've run into is I want to hunt them. Yeah. You know, like I get a big old buck come in. Uh, like yeah, your situation was perfect because you killed him and we were done. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm never seem to be done. So yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's I'm always in a bad place. Have you shot many elk? photography Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit i spent some time out there i mean at my job i go west more than i go the the ducks and stuff are in kentucky or more in the west and i just haven't spent a ton of time you've taken some quite a few lease turn pictures too yeah that's one of our our project species that in our program so shot a lot of lease turns and that's another one of my favorites for the yeah they're cool like if Mm -hmm. lease turns are were an endangered species and they nest on sandbars in western kentucky and 
uh, about one in three summers, they get flooded out by river. Uh, the river will come up and flood all their nests. And so, and when I know the river's coming up, I don't mind photographing them because they're going to lose their nest. And so a little bit, of, if I d were to disturb them, I haven't done anything. And mm -hmm. so I will, you know, as, and for our agency, they provide a lot of use in kind of educating the public about what we do. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, when I see that that river's coming up, I will try to sneak out there and photograph them because I know that I'm not going to cause any any damage has the river come up this year it did not it, it was seems very like, low this year seems it was like it's been a great year yeah, yeah. It was, well yeah. lake cumberland never made summer pool yeah never made summer uh, pool least turns are kind of like farming mm -hmm. it's either it's it's either too dry or it's too wet i mean mm -hmm. this year it was so low the rivers were so low all the islands connect to shore and the predators that got out there and just hammered everything mm -hmm. and so we we didn't really have any success this year mm -hmm because it was too, the uh, the river was too low. You know, I would need to look mm. and see how much rain we've actually gotten. But to me, it feels like there's been consistent rain. Mm -hmm. You know, like we had that little two or three week drought okay. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But since then, I mean, every couple of days, it's yeah. a good rain's come, but it's never been a ton of rain. But, but like for us, it's not just necessarily driven by what we get. Mm -hmm. The Mississippi River is driven by what happens oh, up yeah. in the upper Midwest and stuff. And yeah. so for all summer, the Mississippi's been really low. Uh, we work mm -hmm. off a gauge at New Madrid, Missouri, and at 20, <clears> when the gauge <throat> reaches 28 feet, the islands are exposed to the, the you know, the, the birds can nest there. This summer it was at minus two or three feet. Oh, wow. Uh, by end of June. Hmm. Uh, and so that's, yeah, the island is now 30 plus feet above the surface of the river. Wow. Uh, so it's, uh, they were, you well, know, I it, saw it last fall and it yeah. was scary. So in my time here, there's only one time, I mean, last fall where it was that low and there was like eight or 10 years ago, there was a really low time. Uh, but it would just, when the, when the Mississippi's that low, even if we get rain here, the Ohio just dumps into a black hole in the Mississippi. Okay. And so it doesn't come up nearly as much. Uh, Mississippi just absorbs it. Yeah, it absorbs it. And they, yeah. yeah, so it doesn't. It, it's you know it's all part of the system, so we just haven't had that that northern water coming down yet that keep that fills it up. Yeah, you're uh, what you have to think about in your in your position is much more broad. You know, yeah. like a lot of our biologists are thinking across state lines, yeah. but you're thinking across um, you know international borders. Inter yeah, exactly. You're thinking about Canada. You're yeah. thinking about Mexico. Yeah, I get. I mean, and you know, one of the great we talked about hip earlier. People call all the time and say, "Man, they shoot so many ducks in Canada. Would wouldn't it we be better?" Better. and then you start that you know, say wait a minute let's look at the data and they shoot uh canada sh as a whole shoots less ducks than louisiana <laughs> so you know it's uh it, the mississippi flyway shoots i think it's five or six times as many birds as canada in its entirety hmm. uh that that yeah, so it's important information to learn how. But but those Canadian birds, the birds that winter in Western Kentucky, are nesting on Prairie Canada yeah. and coming down, and Prairie uh, and, and Dakota some too, but more Prairie Canada, and they come down and spend the winter here in Western Kentucky, Western Tennessee, and you know, and 
will go back up there and nest. That's awesome. That's cool how they how they do that. I know. Yeah, uh, I think it's fascinating how migratory animals find their way because you know it's not like they sat down and took a class on okay you're going to fly this way for 500 miles and then you're going to turn. And, my, no. my favorite one that I tell everybody is blown away by the story: the Canada geese out here in the yard. Yeah. Everybody calls resident Canada geese. They don't ever go anywhere. They don't. It's not true. They have what we call a molt migration. Mm-hmm. That somewhere 20 percent of the population every year picks up in late May and takes off and spends the summer on Hudson Bay or James Bay in Canada. They've never seen Hudson Bay or James Bay as some kind of programmed in Mm -hmm. feature of these birds that they just take off and go up there and they spend the summer up there and then they come back to Kentucky the following year. I mean, the following fall and and they're back and they may never go anywhere again, but Hmm. there's, this is kind of this pre-programmed migration that, they go north. It's just imprinted yeah. in them. Yeah. It's just like they wake up one day and they're like, you know what I should do? I should fly 1,200 miles that way. <laughs> I need some, I I need some hordens, don't I? I told you that. <laughs> Watch in early May. Yeah. All of a sudden you start seeing these flocks of geese moving around, mm-hmm. flying higher than we kind of traditionally think about. And you, you're like, these are the groups, the birds that are probably going to make that flight. And and having been up in, in Agamaski Island, which is in James Bay, it's kind of right where J- James Bay turns into Hudson Bay. Uh, on June 1st, you can look and there's a black cloud coming from the south. And it's tens of thousands of Canada geese coming from the United States up there then they'll spend the summer up there and and molt their feathers and and uh so it's just a cool a cool phenomenon hmm. that is interesting as far as um you know so i looked at the calendar i've i've not hunted waterfowl yet ever for the past two years i said i'm gonna go do it and i think my way to do it is probably wood ducks uh, the wood duck and, season is a fantastic way to get your feet wet on that well you know i have places i, I deer hunt near creeks if i yep. can mm-hmm. so i see wood ducks yes. and uh i've seen Quite yep. a few Susies the other day. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like one of those things, even me not being experienced without decoys and stuff, I I know that I will, if I hunt this deer stand on this certain creek, and, you know, every morning at 7.15, here they are. Yeah. And so I feel like it's something I could probably just delve my feet into. But I looked at the calendar here, the Kentucky field calendar. I flipped to September, and, of course, I knew Dove was coming in uh-huh. on the 1st and archery on the 2nd. But there's a whole host of migratory bird seasons that come in in September. Absolutely. So, I mean, like almost all of them. Yeah, like. there's a lot of the woodcock and, I mean, woodcock are later, uh, but uh, rails and snipe and crow. Uh, crow comes in early. Uh, but your wood duck should be the third Saturday in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Um, opening day of deer crossbow season, wood duck, teal, and early Canada goose season. Yep. So, well, early Canada goose, it might be my one chance to have this discussion with you guys. Yeah. The Canada goose season changes. Yeah, that was one to bring that up. Yeah, it? that we that is the proper date for eastern half of the state. Okay. If you're in the west now, September first is when goose season. Oh, so two starts. weeks earlier. Yes. Yep. They. Uh, and they we start, now have zones. We have zones. We have a western Percept- zone and in an eastern zone. And the calendar uh, in the Dove Guide, there's a page a, two. A, a picture of the where the. It basically we give you this is the western zone and if you're not in it then you you're you're in the east yeah so that, that's a more liberal season for the western zone well no it's just or they go earlier oh, and it's, it's the same bag limit same everything they just have their 15 days the beginning of the month and we have our 15 days at the end of the month cool and it based on i guess the commission 
heard from some of their hunters that felt like hunting in the west was better early than hunt, yeah. hunting late but the hunters in the east like the, the hunters in the east like to be able to shoot wood duck and teal mm-hmm. and geese at the same time mm-hmm. so that the, the the hunters in the west will lose out on that opportunity they won't get to shoot both but it's all coming from hunter feedback it was as hunters to, to the commission that's good i like yeah. it I, I like i love it when we take uh people's you know you know that what they would like to see and, and we say will this work with well, the data we have and it will yeah. oh let's do, do it. it yeah i think i think it's a great process aside from what we've already talked about what else would waterfowl or migratory bird hunters need to be thinking about at the moment the coming up coming season should be exactly identical to last year mm-hmm. uh we should uh yeah the all the seasons again we start to have the four days at thanksgiving and then we close and then we open up again december 7th and go to january 31st and so uh the the it looks like that we have a uh yeah the, the results aren't quite finalized yet but we should have a decent number of birds coming south when i was just like i said just coming back from south north dakota there were there were ducklings everywhere mm-hmm. there's still even fuzz balls mm-hmm. here in mid mid august so it's uh there will be some birds but uh nothing particular and and really coming uh the one thing i would say that most concerning for me is we've seen in the long-term decline in dove numbers mm-hmm. uh that we can't really explain mm-hmm. uh and so we've uh, the eastern management unit which we're part of is basically everything east of the mississippi river uh the number of doves in that unit has gone from 110 million doves in 2008 to about 40 million doves today mm. And so what's causing that and what's happening, nobody's quite sure about, but it's something that we're, we're watching carefully and, and trying to get a grasp on what, what is exactly happening. But as far as dove hunting goes, I mean, people can basically go about that normally. Still go, still go normally. Again, make sure you have your hip. Make sure you have, if you don't have the sportsman's, make sure you have the, yeah, the proper licenses there uh, mm-hmm. that you would need a hunting license, a small game, and, and uh, the migratory bird slash waterfowl permit. Yeah. Hunting hunting license, you, migratory you, bird you, permit, and you, hip. You do not need uh, a duck stamp to hunt doves. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you, if you're going to dove hunt, go look for your ammunition early. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't go the day before because, man, it's, I mean, it's better today than it was last year, but it's still not easy to find especially if you want to go to a steel shot field some of our wmas yeah. if you want to hone in some of our wmas we have uh steel shot only mm-hmm. and so uh you know that if you want steel shot you better go look for it yeah so right now we are today's the 16th we are two weeks and two days so 16 days away from the opener and like you said steel shot fields that that made me think somebody you know, if they're thinking about going to a public field, probably needs to go ahead and start planning their trip. So yep. go ahead and get uh, the on. guide is out. It yeah. should have mm-hmm. it's online. Right, yep, right, it's I've out. just printed it off. Okay, so uh, you can go look at the different fields that we have, and it'll tell you. And the other one, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this will be out in time, but this year we have a new opportunity. If you mm-hmm. don't do it this year, next year consider we have a, a couple of fields that are quota hunts, mm-hmm. so that you. You have until Friday to apply. If you've ever gone to uh, one of those fields where there's 700 people in the Mm -hmm. field and you're a little bit scared, uh, this gives you a very limited number of people. You're limited to 50 shells. 
uh, you have to be out by you know well before dark and mm-hmm. so gives the birds hopefully a chance to come in and feed after you're done and hopefully we'll extend the life of the field a little bit but uh, I'm interested to see we've had a fair number of people apply for it already mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm hoping this opportunity that people like to have a you know hey I know I've got a spot and I know it's not going to be crazy so if we were going to send people to one place right now for information where they could find the quota hunt stuff or they could find the rules and regs or find a public is there a dove hunting page on the website that yep. they could go to and they can go print off the guide right yeah. now the guide's there too mm-hmm. it's probably on the towel right it's probably yeah, it is it's, it's the beginning I'll, I'll let Lee's least better at speaking. Yeah, I, I look at it all the time, but I, I can't off the top of my head. I mean, head I've done the fishing guy for 23 yeah. years. People ask me a question, and I'm like, boo. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I mean, sometimes you can't see the forest for the yeah, trees. Yeah. right there. Yeah, so right here on the homepage of the, of the website is a picture of a dove, a great picture of a dove. Um, and then if you click on that, it takes you to the guide. The, yep. So that takes you to the guide there. And you can see everything we just talked about for yep. dove hunting. Yeah. And I'll tell you that the reason I thought people might want to start planning now is because they might want to apply for the quota or that if they look and see that the, the field closest to them is still shot only, it might be a good idea to go ahead and source those shells. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even though we say this every year, Hey, it's a great, you need to get your shells. I'm still going to find myself in Walmart on Friday morning at 10 AM with an hour to spare to get to where I need to go looking for shells. Like, I promise you I'm going to. Speaking of that, I probably need to put it in an email to take off work on that for <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, – I'm, I'm, I fortunately I've, – I've gotten so – for me personally, I only use steel shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I just don't – don't think I need to be shooting lead anymore. Is that for all species or for migratory bird only? For uh, Pretty much for everything. Okay. I mean, uh, I with, with my deer rifle, I've switched to – Copper bullets. Copper, yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a new trend. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, they, they ballistically they seem pretty good. They're a little bit more expensive, but I don't shoot the gun so much that it. I mean, I buy a box of, of rifle bullets and they last me a pretty darn long time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, as far as dove hunting, Texas did a study where they handed you blindly. You're you two guys are standing there shooting doves, and I hand you your shells. And I don't, you don't know what it is. It's steel, it's lead, it's six steel, eight steel. Yeah. There was no difference in harvest rates among lead, the difference between steel and lead. If you don't know what it is, you make a good shot, you kill it with steel, you make a bad shot, mm-hmm. you don't kill it with lead or steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. that makes and, sense. And so there, but there was no people say, oh, Crippen Lakes are higher. No, that's true. It's yeah. just you. Steel is 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 good, and it's just hard to come by sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a touch more expensive, mm-hmm. you know. But nowadays, I mean, you're not finding cheap. The, the old yeah. days of finding the hundred know, the hundred packs over fourteen ninety five. Yeah, yeah you you're know, not that's finding over. those kind of things anymore. So I just every year I, ahead of time I order a case online from somewhere like Rogers or somewhere like that, and I, I have a case of of steel shot sitting there, and it said. The bad thing is I like my 20 gauge mm-hmm. and it's really hard to find 20 gauge steel. I know I've got some years. and I'm afraid to yeah, shoot. Yeah, it's I mean 12 gauge steel you can get regularly if you order it. But man 20 gauge is still really hard to come. Yeah, by. that's kind of a niche area there. Yeah. Cuz it's 12 gauge that's where every waterfowl yeah. hunter shooting 20 gauge you're talking about. Yeah. Duck hunting that's perfect. Yeah. And 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 nowadays if you're like really serious duck hunter or whatever some of the the new non-toxic shot is even better than, than lead was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. a, like the TSS, the yeah. super shot. 
I, mean, I first saw it in Alaska hunting with a guy. He's like, "What? we're shooting eiders. And they're like, what are you shooting? He's like, nine. So I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, I'd never even heard of TSS. And, <laughs> and he just hammered birds. And, yeah. and it's it's better. I mean, it's incredible stuff. It's also incredibly expensive. I was going to say, how much is I mean, it? Yeah. It's not the <laughs> thing you're going to sit in the duck blind and shoot uh, you know, lots and lots of shells. Yeah. But if you go on a once-in-a-lifetime trip, like that, uh, there's no way I would go without it in the future. Yeah, I've shot it for turkey the past few years. Um, that's one of the shells up there. Yeah. And uh, the first time I ever, you know, did anything with TSS, it was a coworker here, Rachel Croom, asked me, I was going to Cabela's, can you pick me up two boxes of turkey shells? Five come in a box. It was like 100 bucks for oh, 10 God. shells. It's $10 mm-hmm. a trigger, but I'm hoping the waterfowl loads aren't $10 a trigger. Oh, yeah, they're. they're $10 so a well, it's, uh, it's, it's $60 for five, sh- uh, for, the box of ten shells, so six dollars. That's still pretty. Yeah, funny. it's insane. Yeah. Uh, but it, and then again, if we're if you're talking about wood duck and teal season, or you're talking about yeah, if you're sitting in the blind and shooting a lot, no, it's you don't you don't need it. Yeah. But if you talk about again a once in a lifetime trip where you're going to shoot birds that are hard to, you know, you want to give yourself the absolute best chance. Yeah. A couple hundred dollars worth of uh, uh, fancy shells is maybe worth it. And a yeah. trip that you're spending thousands of dollars on. Give yeah. yourself that opportunity, but uh, but there are people that you know. More and more folks say, "Hey, I'm going hunting three times this year, mm-hmm. and I want everything to be right in those mm-hmm. three times." And so, you know, if, if you spend thirty, you know, sixty to a hundred dollars on shells for that time, there are people that are willing to yeah. do that. But the still makes perfect sense yeah. for Dove to me. Yeah. Dove is not the place to go above still. No, you, know you, do, I mean? you yeah. absolutely yeah. do not need it for Dove. What's so. the average? One yeah. in six, one in seven mm, shots? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I'm and I'm worse than that probably. It, <laughs> uh, you know, it takes it takes me well over my 50 to get to 15 in most. Mm-hmm. I've done it in less, but I'm, I don't know. You've been, you haven't been shooting. It's the beginning of the season. It's May day, Mayhem, and I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. But, you know, once you hit one, though, sometimes, yeah, you, then, you then uh-oh. It. Katie Barr. But then it also goes the other way. Like you said, once you hit one, you can get on a roll. But I'm swear you once you one. miss one, you can get on that side. I know. Too. You can start riding that train. I mean, uh, my favorite all- ever dove hunting. The opening day, one of our other biologists and I hunted, and I had two dogs. And so I let my young dog go sit with him. And he retrieved a bunch of birds, and my old dog hunted with me. And then we went a second time, and I could not hit anything. And it was hot, so I only took the young dog. And I looked around, and my young dog was gone. Mm-hmm. And he had left me and gone to sit with the other guy because he could shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched, and he missed a couple birds, and the dog dropped his head, and he came back to dad. <laughs> the, dog, the dog's trying to figure it out. That's like, funny. Like, that kind of hurt my feelings. About <laughs> He's like, "Dad's terrible. I'm going to. I'm moving." That's, that's you know it's bad when your dog leaves you. That's funny. Well, guys, I think we covered quite a bit. We hit on everything I wanted to. Do you have anything, Lee? Do you want? No, uh, I just wanted to make sure we talked about the september uh, canada goose season dates and the the zone and if you want to look at the zone a map pretty map on page two of the current guide yeah. show all the you, counties and stuff find that on the homepage of the website what about you john is there anything else you want i to think on? that's covered again expect what you saw last year for hunting seasons mm-hmm. this year and we should have the guide for waterfowl sometime in october i think yeah. is when you yep. should see that but uh, yeah, pretty much now we're at a place where hunting seasons are going to be the same days every year. You don't need to ask what days they are. There, there are those days. And the uh, the one other thing I we didn't hit on is 
waterfowl we do have blind drawings coming up in the yeah. next uh next little bit there will be a blind drawing at doug travis the last saturday yeah, of, of august of yeah. august and then we'll have one for lake barkley it's at the third i think that release is about to drop it yeah it's we have a press release coming out but it's like the third monday in september mm-hmm. and then green river lake and barren river lake are in at the end of the month and beginning of october so yeah. uh, if you want to you have these spots you you get a blind for the year and it's all yours and so it's yeah it's a it's a, a great opportunity for you there and the other thing is coming up in september you know our quota hunts at ballard and things like you know ballard and mm-hmm. uh where outside september is quota hunt so, month yep so apply for those and uh you know and again if you haven't done it there's we have at our boat right here that we now have an online system that you can apply every week for hunts the coming following the coming week so uh you know take advantage of that as well it's awesome mm-hmm. well, john i appreciate you coming by lee thank Thanks, you no problem that's yeah. always good to be here it's been a while since i, I know. hung out with you guys you've been so. sending west down here john, uh, well he yeah west likes likes to be on tv well, I, I, like <laughs> a, I love talking to west too but <laughs> i get mustache envy uh, west, yeah. west, <laughs> I, i'm usually happy to let west be on tv mm-hmm. versus me so no, you guys both do a great job i appreciate you thank you man